Well, I want to welcome you to uh, Trinity Bible Church. As we say around here, welcome home. I'm uh, Peter Salmon. I'm our lead pastor here, and uh, it's just so good to be together as a church. And uh, if you're new with us, we want to just extend a special welcome to you if you're a guest with us this morning. Um, we're so glad that you're here, and we'd love to have you uh, just do a quick favor for us. Just fill out a, a connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you. Um, you can take that to the Welcome Center afterwards or drop it in the boxes as you leave, and all that does is it allows us to have the opportunity to get to know you a little better, to get to uh, encourage you and uh, help let you know about some ways that you could possibly get connected in the future we um, have an exciting day ahead of us today, uh, coming together, worshiping Jesus. Uh, man, that's always the highlight of my week, I know. But um, this afternoon, we have an ability to come together and celebrate uh, together and with our community to hold a fall festival. Um, I know that yesterday, uh, there was a group of guys for 15 hours that was uh, smoking pork, uh, like 400 pounds of pulled pork. Um, and I got to taste a little bit. Let me tell you, it is, it is worth it, right? All right. So uh, even if you can't come for the whole three hours, just come for as much as you can, uh, three to six, and uh, make sure you get a barbecue sandwich, man. Make sure you get some of that pulled pork. Uh, even if you just come for that, uh, we'd love to have you as a part of that as well. And hey, invite everyone you know to come too. Uh, and so fun this morning to park on that new, who got to park on the new parking lot, man? Is anyone like, man, this isn't my normal parking spot, but I'm just going to park over here just for fun, just to try it out, right? Uh, I don't know that I ever thought I'd get this excited about a bunch of like concrete out there, you know, but it's a pretty fun day. Um, so man, it's, it's fun to celebrate today. And, uh, and now, right, there's no excuse for being late to church. You can't be like, hey, I had to park three blocks down the road, you know? It's like, no, you just park right here. Uh, but man, it's good to be together, good to celebrate. Uh, we have the opportunity now to share with you some of what uh, God has done in our lives and in our hearts over the past uh, few weeks in the Everyone Every Day vision campaign. This was a really unique season for our church. Uh, if you came for the first time in that season and you stuck around, uh, thanks for hanging with us in that. And uh, we, we just went hard after vision and after scripturally, what does God call us to be as a movement of disciples who make disciples? You can go ahead and roll back to that previous slide. Uh, so in that Everyone Everyday campaign, we were just um, kind of casting a, a big vision for our church in the years to come. You know, a lot of churches, it's the, the pastor is kind of the one that does the ministry and uh, it's the, the, the people kind of support and are sort of the, the audience, but that's not true here. Um, we, we cast a big vision over the past few weeks to be a movement of disciples who make disciples, and that takes everyone, everyone every day. And I, I'm, I'm so excited just to share with you how you responded in that and how God led you to respond. So uh, I wanna invite up three of our lay leaders. Uh, come on up, you guys know who you are. Um, and these are people that were kind of instrumental in this whole uh, process over the past few months. Um, just so you know, uh, Dana Shaver is on our shepherding board. Um, and if you know Dana and Megan, Megan is our Awana commander. So those of you who are involved in Awana know everything that she kind of invests in that ministry. Um, Kristen Colson, uh, many of you know Kristen. Many of you also know Pastor Josh Colson. 
um, who is, is still, what's his deal? He's still over in South Carolina, just having too good of a time to come home or it's still a couple more months, right? December 14th, I think. You're, not that anyone's counting. Um, yeah, but um, uh, for, for those that don't know, Pastor Josh, uh, one of our discipleship pastors here, he is uh, in the National Guard and doing basic training. Two years into being in the National Guard, they decided they better send him to basic training, finally. So, um, but uh, Kristen is here. She's one of our lay leaders as well, but also uh, kind of representing Josh. Josh was the um, head of our vision campaign team that put together um, kind of so many of the materials and plans and even helped head up uh, the events that are happening even later today. And then Paul Herring is our church treasurer. So glamorous, I know, glamorous, yeah. And also the finance uh, kind of lead for that campaign. So each of them is gonna have an opportunity to share kind of a, a part of what you all uh, committed to. And this isn't uh, to elevate our church uh, this isn't to pat ourselves on the back. This is to uh, bring glory to God and to acknowledge the way that God has worked and provided and moved in the lives and hearts of people. And so it's appropriate that we celebrate. So as these are shared, um, I don't know. I don't know if I, uh, I, 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 there's maybe some Hawkeyes fans in here. Maybe you didn't get a chance to celebrate a whole lot yesterday. Um, now, now's your opportunity, all right? Just, just pretend that uh, Cooper DeGene actually does score that touchdown and you can celebrate, right? Uh, so now's your chance to do that. And uh, Kristen, I think you're up first. So I get to share the number of ones that were committed. Um, and personally, it's been so encouraging to have so many conversations with so many people, specifically in our small group, of just seeing how intentional everyone is in moving towards those in their lives. So I get, I'm excited I get to share this. Maybe. All right, drum roll. She's opening the envelope. All right, here we go. Okay, our church family has committed to sharing life with and sharing about Jesus with 268 ones. Wow. Woo! And this just so happens to be about exactly how many new parking spaces we have in the lot. How amazing is that? So we get to celebrate that. So in the future, as you keep parking in those spots, we want to be reminded to keep praying for those people in our lives and to be reminded um, of how much God loves them and, and that we want to be moving towards them and welcome, welcoming them into a relationship with Jesus alongside us. Awesome. I'm going to share the total number of financial commitments for our campaign. So the number of individuals or families that made a financial commitment for our Everyone Everyone campaign is 179. Surprisingly, this is more financial commitments than what we made in our previous campaign, which is exciting. We had all sizes of gifts from a single dollar all the way up to an individual. It gave uh, six figures, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, every sacrifice matters. Um, different ages and stages gave uh, young families and uh, retirees. We also had um, families that are new to our church that made a financial commitment and including people who have been with our church ever since the beginning. Good morning. 
So I'd like to, uh, to share with you the total amount that was raised. Um, our campaign goal was $2.1 million, which just uh, that number of, uh, alone humbles me. Um, now, in most church campaigns, they would be doing well to raise well, maybe half of that. So let's see where we, we came in. So I have the envelope. Drum roll. Here we go. <laughs> so this, this number, every time that I uh, would look at the roll-up, it was, it was increasing, and I was uh, amazed every time. So um, the total that's been pledged to the Everyone, the Everyday Campaign, is $1,396,876. So I was sitting uh, next to a young man that saw my, uh, my envelope, and he asked me, how much do you think it is? Maybe $5,000? And I said, I think it's a little bit more than that, actually. <laughs> so... Um, so that's, that's almost two-thirds of our goal. Uh, and who knows, uh, there could be uh, more donations between now and the end of the campaign in uh, 2025 that we would actually reach that goal. But even with what's been uh, committed so far, uh, that's going to fund our uh, Beyond Our Walls projects, is going to pay for the parking lot and pay off half of our debt. And as, if more funds come in, uh, we'll finish paying off our debt, and then tackle some finishing projects that we have as well. We ask that you would pray and respond, and you certainly did. Uh, we believe that uh, as we all do that, God will continue to meet our needs. One last comment. I, you know, as we do this uh, campaign, sometimes we can get focused on the physical building or the parking lot, but I want to reflect back to what Kristen shared. Each of you have a, a one. Uh, maybe you wrote it down as part of the campaign, and that's that 268, or maybe you're still praying and still working to find that one. But if you think about, just think about 100 years from now, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going to be. In fact, I am <laughs> certain, right? But th these investments are for those people that we want to bring with us to be in heaven with Christ. So thank you all. Wow. Wow. So, so encouraged this morning. So encouraged to hear what God's done and uh, incredibly excited to be a part of this with you. Well, we are uh, beginning a new series today uh, called Discover Jesus. We're going to be working through the Gospel of Mark over the next eight weeks. The Gospel of Mark has 16 chapters in it. Now, the Gospel of Mark is one of the four biographies of Jesus Life. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, you can uh, pull that up in Mark. Uh, if you're looking for that in a, a Bible, you will want to head to the New Testament. And if you get to Matthew, you need to go one more. If you get to Luke or John, you'll need to stop and back up. Um, so Mark chapter 1. Now, like I said, there's 16 chapters in Mark, and we're taking eight weeks. So if you can do the math, that's two chapters a week, which is pretty Pretty quick, pretty fast. You could take 45 weeks and do the book of Mark. Uh, but we're going to go a little, a little bit quicker because we're really encouraging you 
to engage personally in this, to read along, to follow along. Maybe some of you took up the challenge from last week and you read and kind of studied through Mark chapter one and two last week. If you didn't, you can still jump in and uh, be reading Mark along with us and in advance. And, um, or better yet, you can invite someone else to read the Bible with you and uh, kind of together with them, uh, discover Jesus together in the gospel of Mark. And so this is especially true. Like if you, if there's nothing that you're actively reading in scripture on a regular basis right now, jump in right here and study along. Uh, if, if you've maybe never read the Bible before and you're brand new to this whole thing, jump in right here, begin reading in Mark. Um, and for some of you, maybe this is discovering Jesus for the first time. For others, maybe it's rediscovering uh, familiar truths about Jesus, but these truths just going deeper into your life and deeper into your heart. But the key is, we want you to discover the, the, the real, actual Jesus for yourself. Some of you have been told things about Jesus all your life. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of ideas, a lot of concepts out there, a lot of even conflicting ideas about who Jesus is. Some people say Jesus is uh, divine, that he's the son of God. Other people say, well, he's just a, a good teacher. Um, a lot of re religions in the world say that Jesus was uh, just a prophet. You know, 53% of Americans say that Jesus was just a great teacher, but he wasn't divine. We're sort of all over the place as Americans on, on who exactly Jesus is. But what's interesting is that Still, a, a lot of people really like Jesus. A few years back, they did a study um, kind of trying to figure out the popularity of different famous people. And they gave people a list of names, a list of famous people, and they kind of surveyed people on whether they liked or disliked. And they asked them, you know, do you have a favorable opinion of these particular individuals? Uh, pull up that next slide, if you would. And so take a minute and just, just what do you think? How do you think people would have responded in terms of popularity? Just kind of in your mind, mentally rank uh, who you think came first or second or turn to your neighbor and tell them what you think. Uh, so go ahead and take a minute to do that. Who do you think kind of ranked first, second, third on this list? So again, they, they asked, uh, do you have a favorable opinion of this person? Do you like them or not? So here's the results. Go ahead and pull up the next slide. Uh, so Santa Claus, it's tough being Santa Claus, right? <laughs> Only 67%. Then you had Martin Luther King Jr., then Mother Teresa, then George Washington, yeah? And then Abraham Lincoln, 91%. I'm trying to figure out who are the 9% of people that don't like Abraham Lincoln, right? So the question is, where did, where did Jesus rank in this? Next slide. Jesus got 90%, right? Second only to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and isn't, isn't that fascinating? Like, I don't think I would have guessed that. It, it seems like almost everyone likes Jesus. But people have very different ideas and opinions about who Jesus is, don't they? Some say he's just a good teacher. Some say he's God himself. Some say he's just a prophet. So here's what I think. I think that people kind of treat Jesus sort of like my kids and their Lego minifigures. They have a whole bucket of like heads and arms and legs and they kind of take and, and piece together 
whatever they want to create their own version of a character. And I think we do that in our society with Jesus. Almost everyone likes Jesus because we construct our own version of Jesus. Some people love the the anti-establishment picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus in there, like flipping tables, speaking truth to power. Uh, Other people, they love like this, I don't know, this like hippie psychedelic version of Jesus. Jesus walking around like, hey, peace and love, man. And like as he levitates two feet off the ground, right? Um, You know, one of the biggest mockeries of this, one of the best mockeries of this is that scene in uh, Talladega Nights. Um, there's like Will Ferrell and this, this other guy, and they sort of go on this like rant about how they like to see Jesus. Uh, the Will Ferrell character is like, you know, I, I like Jesus, you know, uh, as baby Jesus. I like baby Jesus the best. You know, six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, all cute in his swaddling clothes, snugly in his diapers in his crib, yet omnipotent. And then the other guy, he goes, you know, my version of Jesus, the one I like is the one where he's wearing a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, you know, he's formal, but he likes to party because I like to party and my version of Jesus likes to party, right? And, and isn't that interesting that people say, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus would never. Here's what my Jesus would do. But, 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 but how do you know that your version of Jesus is the real Jesus? And, and wouldn't you want to discover the real, true Jesus? You know, there's so many ideas out there about who Jesus is, and some of you have never investigated for yourself. And so I want to encourage you, challenge you even in this season to discover the real Jesus in the gospel of Mark over the next eight weeks. To do this, we're going to use just a very simple process, Uh, a process you can follow on your own as you study, or a process you can actually walk through with someone else that you're inviting to read the Bible with you. And they're just four quick, uh, we call them discovery Bible study questions. One is the God question what did I discover about Jesus or about God in this passage? Second is the us question. What does this tell us about us as people? What does this tell us about people in this passage? What do we find out about humanity? Then me, what's Jesus asking from me personally? And then finally, who? Who's the one person God's calling me to share this with? Maybe uh, my kids, maybe my wife, maybe a, a, a coworker, family member, person in my small group. Who's God calling me to share what I've learned with? So each week we're gonna look at a part, probably not the whole two-chapter section every week, but we'll look at a part of a two-chapter section of Mark and try to answer these questions. But again, we want you to discover for yourself. So be studying this kind of on your own if you, if you can. Don't just rely on being spoon-fed verse by verse on Sunday morning. Study on your own too. So the beginning of Mark. Let's start there. Mark chapter one, verse one. Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark doesn't spend any time beating around the bush about what he is about to tell them in this gospel. This is sort of the headline here. This is the thesis statement of his writing. This is what he's going to tell them over the next 16 chapters about who Jesus is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's no question here. There's no confusion about what Mark is seeking to communicate. And so again, that question, that first question, the God question of what do we discover about Jesus here? Well, there's three key words that help us 
understand who Jesus is. First, the gospel. The gospel. This word for gospel is the Greek word euangelion. It means good news, and it's, it's not a uniquely Christian or even religious term. Uh, when the Roman emperor, Julius Caesar, died and his son Augustus Caesar took the throne, uh, Augustus Caesar sent out a message, a euangelion, about the fact that he was the son of God and he was now on the throne. He said that he's the, the prince of peace that had come. This was Caesar's gospel. It was his euangelion, his good news announcement that the son of God had come to bring peace and rule by his power and might so that no one could oppose him. There's an inscription on a temple from around 9 BC, so right before Jesus was born, um, and it's about Emperor Augustus. And here's what it reads. It says, the emperor has exceeded the hopes of the former euangelion, the former good news, surpassing not only the benefactors who came before him, but also leaving no hope that anyone in the future will surpass him. And since the birthday of the God was for the world, the beginning of his good news, and he continues on. Isn't that interesting? It reads a lot like Mark, the beginning of the good news. Now, Augustus says, there's no one that has sur- is going to ever surpass me. But Jesus is coming into the world and Mark is putting forward a different euangelion, a new announcement of good news, of the Son of God, the Christ, who has come into the world. He uses the word Christ. Um, one thing you should know that, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, right? Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ is his title. Uh, it's the title that comes from the Greek word that means anointed one or Messiah. And so both Christ and, and Messiah refer to someone divinely appointed by God for a specific mission. And so the anointed one, the Messiah, was the one that would come and fulfill all of the, the prophecies in the Jewish Old Testament about the promised Savior that would come to Israel and to the world. And so Mark says that the Messiah is none other than the Son of God. Now, we think of Son of God as a religious word, and it is, that's right. But in, in that time, in that day, it was the, the emperor, starting with Augustus, that would claim to be the Son of God. So this gospel about Jesus, it is a direct confrontation to the Roman Empire. Like to believe this, let alone preach this openly, was basically treason. Is it any wonder that like Jesus was, was executed uh, by the Roman government as a criminal, or that uh, all of the 12 apostles except for one ended up being executed by the empire. And so this wasn't some little cute, like obligatory opening statement to Mark's gospel. No, this is earth shattering. Mark is making the case. He's dropping truth right away saying, this is what this is about. Jesus is the good news. He is the one that's come into the world as the son of God, as the anointed one. And Caesar, no, he's the cheap knockoff. Jesus is the real thing. And so this one verse, the first verse of Mark that sets the stage for everything that comes after, it, it, it tells us right away 
the truth about Jesus, cutting through all the confusion, cutting through all the different you know, chatter and opinions and, you know, well, my Jesus is like this, my Jesus is like that. And, and for a world that is asleep right now to the truth, for a world that's asleep to the truth about Jesus, this is an abrupt wake-up call. Right off the bat, Mark gets after it. And so um, you might say, well, how do I know that Mark's telling the truth here? He could say anything, right? Well, it isn't, it isn't just Mark claiming that Jesus is the son of God. Mark right away uh, lines up some other witnesses. It's kind of like a, a lawyer that's presenting their case to a court and lines up witness after witness to come and testify. That's what Mark does right away in this first chapter. He makes his case by first going to the witness of the Old Testament in Mark chapter one, two and three. It says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, see I'm, going, see I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. And so this is a prophecy from uh, the prophet Isaiah 700 years before this, talking about someone who had come into the world and prepare the way for the Lord. Now, who is that someone? Well, that's where Mark calls up his next witness, the witness of John the Baptist. Uh, Mark chapter one, verse four, John came, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what do you know? Here, here's the guy that John the Baptist is uh, talking about. Jesus is the fulfillment of uh, this, of this prophecy in Isaiah where a voice would come crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. That's John the Baptist. And he points to the one that is to come. And then, and then Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And this is where we see another witness come forward. And this is God the Father himself and God the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter one, verse nine, it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And so here we have Jesus coming forward to be baptized by John. And as, as he does this, um, God the Father himself and God the Holy Spirit endorse him and call him out as the, the Messiah and the Son of God. And by the way, for anyone who says, um, you know, you hear people say sometimes, usually like on TikTok or something, but people say, uh, the Trinity's not in the Bible. The Trinity's not in the Bible. And, and yeah, the, the term, the, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. But the, the theological concept of the Trinity is. 
And it's seen most clearly right here. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three coexistent, co-eternal persons that are coming together in this particular moment. Uh, One God and three persons. And here we see that God the Father himself is announcing and confirming that, yes, this is my son. And so here we see Mark right away in verse one calling it, saying, hey, here's who Jesus is. We see the witness of the Old Testament pointing to John the Baptist that would come and prepare the way for the Lord. We see John the Baptist himself pointing to one that would come. And then we see the witness of the Father and the Spirit. And all of this is before Jesus even says anything so far in the gospel of Mark. Jesus hasn't even done or said anything yet, except go get baptized by John. And so there's a lot, a lot to live up to here. Like everyone is saying that Jesus is the greatest of all time. But is that who Jesus thinks he is? He hasn't weighed in on this yet. Will he embrace his role as the Messiah and the son of God? Well, look at the next verse, verse uh, 14. It says, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus goes throughout Galilee preaching and saying, and this is his message, right? God's reign and rule is coming to this earth through me. Repent of your sin. Repent of your rebellion against God and believe the good news. And the good news is that God's salvation is coming near to you through me. Jesus here is in total agreement with Mark and with Old Testament prophecy and with John the Baptist and with the Father and the Spirit. But up to this point, it's just a lot of talk, right? You could say, you know, so far this is just a lot of hype. Is the hype real or not? Or is Jesus gonna be a bust? There's a lot that's being said about him, but what's he actually going to do? Well, look at what he does next. Everything he does is completely consistent with everything he said about himself and everything that others have said, that he's the son of God and the Messiah. He calls his first disciples who immediately drop what they're doing and follow him. That's in verse 16 through 20 of Mark chapter one. You can go ahead and hit the next slide. Then people are astonished because he teaches with authority. When Jesus taught, he didn't teach like the scribes or the teachers of Israel's did at that time. He taught based on his own authority. Then he would um, rebuke evil spirits and those evil spirits would leave. And those evil spirits, even though they didn't worship Jesus as the son of God, they recognized and realized that he was the son of God. And these evil spirits would call it out. 
He heals sickness. And even the most serious illnesses, we see that as we continue in Mark chapter one. And then by the time we get to Mark chapter two, we see Jesus even forgiving sins. Jesus even forgives sins. He has the authority to teach, to heal, to cast out demons, to forgive because of who he is. Because he's the son of God and the Messiah. What he, what he does flows out of who he is. It points back to who he is. Kind of like how being a dad, that that's, that's just who I am. I'm a dad. And so everything I, I do with my kids, you know, changing diapers, you know, teaching my kids to read, teaching them to catch, wrestling with them, uh, doing all these things with them. It, it doesn't, those things don't make me a dad, but I do these things because I'm a dad. And Jesus, because of who he is, because he's the son of God, because he's the Messiah, he brings the, the good news into the world of God's salvation and God's kingdom being established. And he, he demonstrates this by healing and forgiving sins and casting out demons and teaching with authority. And no ordinary human can do these things. No Caesar, no, no king, no uh, Jewish religious leader. So who, who wouldn't want to be a part of this? I mean, Jesus just comes in right away in Mark chapter one and Mark chapter two, and it's revealed, hey, here's who he is, and here's all the things he does that line up with that. Get on board. But we'll see that there are many, many people that reject Jesus. And this leads us to, to question two. Hey, what, what do we discover about us? What do we discover about ourselves, about human nature? See, the Bible, when we read it and when we study it, it's, it's not just something we look at. It's something that we look in. It's something we look into, like a mirror. Because it, it shows us who we really are. And we see this pretty clearly by, by chapter two, Jesus is starting to get his critics. The accusations come flying by chapter two. Jesus is accused of blasphemy in Mark chapter two. And by the way, the penalty for that is death. In Mark chapter two, verse 16, he's questioned, hey, wh why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's the deal with that? In Mark two, verse 18, he's questioned, hey, why aren't you and your disciples fasting more? Or at all. And then in Mark 2, 24, why are you and your disciples doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answers every single one of their questions, but it still doesn't satisfy his critics. And shortly after this, in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, the religious leaders begin plotting to kill him. And so for, for, for many people, Jesus didn't fit their mold he didn't fit their rules. He didn't fit their version of who the Messiah would be, of who the Son of God should be. What we learn about us here is, is, is we want Jesus to fit our idea of who he should be. They thought, you know, if the Son of God were to come into the world, surely he wouldn't hang out with tax collectors and sinners and all of these other things. They were disturbed by what Jesus was doing. And so maybe, maybe the hardest thing for us to swallow 
is that Jesus has authority. We even see here 2,000 years ago that, that, that there were many that bristled against the authority of Jesus. Like, who does this guy think he is? Coming in and, you know, forgiving sins and saying he's Lord of the Sabbath and, and breaking our rules. And are we any different today than those religious leaders? There are many, many people that reject the real, actual Jesus today because he breaks their rules. And, and, and they wanna create their own personal version of Jesus based on their values and their truth. So, so of course, like 90% plus of people like Jesus, of course, because we've made him in our own image. Like we've constructed our own version of Jesus. And the minute he doesn't fit what we think is right or good, we, we cancel him or we reject him or we, just, or we just change him and say, well, my Jesus is different. But if you actually study the real Jesus and discover the real Jesus for yourself, you'll find that there's a lot of things that Jesus says that, that go against our modern sensibilities and our modern values. Jesus talked about forgiveness a lot, but he also talked about sin and judgment a lot. Jesus talked about heaven a lot, but he also talked about hell a lot. Jesus talked about uh, a, a very strict standard of sexual ethics. Jesus even told people, you have to die to yourself in order to follow me. And when Jesus came, he came saying, listen, I am the, I'm the authority. I'm the truth. I'm the way. It's, it's black and white. Either come under my authority and live or re reject me and face the consequences. Jesus taught with authority because he is the son of God and he can do that. But the problem is with us as humans, another thing we learn is, bottom line, we just don't like authority. We just don't like authority, do we? Even that, even that word, like authority, ugh. Like we hate that word. We see power and authority as evil, probably because we so often see it abused. Um, yes, there are the Abraham Lincolns of the world <laughs> that use their authority for good, but that seems like an outlier. But Jesus, we see as well, used his authority for good as the son of God to heal, to forgive, to deliver people from demonic oppression, to forgive sin. He used his authority for our good. But ultimately, you have to, you have to decide whether or not you're gonna submit yourself to him as the king, the son of God, the authority for your life. That leads us to question three. What's Jesus asking of me? Well, Mark lays it out at the beginning. This is who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, the son of God, bringing the gospel of the kingdom into the world. And here's what Jesus is asking of us. Jesus said it very clearly. He said, repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus is asking of us. And that's what he's gonna continue 
to ask all throughout the book of Mark. Repent and believe in the gospel. Give up on your own way, your own idea of who Jesus is supposed to be. Give up on your own rules and believe in Jesus. God calls you to make a choice. He calls every single one of us to make a choice. And you don't, like you don't sort of repent and believe the gospel. You either do or you don't. Jesus is saying you need to decide. Do you accept who I am? Do you accept that I am the Messiah? And what's, what's very clear here is that you don't get your own personal Jesus. You don't just get to say that Jesus is whoever you want him to be. Author and theologian C.S. Lewis pointed this out. He said that saying Jesus is a great teacher and that's it, he said that that's, that's really the only thing that we for sure cannot say about Jesus. He said a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, gotta love the English, right? Uh, Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let none of us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In essence, C.S. Lewis is saying, and I believe this is borne out very clearly in the first two chapters of Mark, that Jesus is either a lunatic or a liar, or he is Lord. Which is it? Every single one of us is being called to decide. To repent and believe the good news that yes, Jesus is the son of God, the king, the authority for our lives. And that is a good thing for us. That is good news for us. And he demonstrated it by coming and delivering and healing and forgiving of sins. Like why would we not want to submit to him as our king? But here's why I think this is so hard to accept. You know, earlier I mentioned that whole popularity survey that was done, like who do you have the most favorable opinion of and all that. What I didn't mention is that there was actually one person that I didn't put on this list that's more popular than all of these people. You know what that is? Yourself. When people were asked about, how do you feel about yourself? Do you have a favorable opinion of yourself? 93% of people gave themselves a thumbs up. We have a more favorable opinion of ourselves than we do of Jesus. And so what's, what's required for us to truly discover Jesus for ourselves and to be part of the greatness of his kingdom is we have to get over ourselves or repent. We have to get over our own personal version of who Jesus should be. 
that we've built and constructed for ourselves. We have to stop trying to fit Jesus into our mold and our truth and, and we have to surrender ourselves to him and confess that he's the son of God and the Messiah. Maybe there are some of you here that have done that and taken that step in your life. Maybe there are those today that that's not a settled issue for you. You're still kind of, mm, you know, up in the air. And I wanna call you today to make a decision. To not decide is to decide. And I wanna call you, especially as we begin this journey of discovering Jesus in the gospel of Mark, is don't, don't enter this. If that's you today and you're, you're just kind of unsure, not really sure about the truth of who Jesus is, um, don't, don't just kind of begin this journey in an apathetic way as if it doesn't matter. This, this has eternal significance. I always say, you know, if this, if this isn't true, if, if we're wrong on this, you know, then we've spent our life, um, you know, following scripture and, and, and following Jesus and at the end of the day, we were wrong. But if we're right on this, there, there's, there's eternal reward, eternal joy. And so for you, I encourage you even just today to settle this issue in your heart. Is Jesus the son of God, the Messiah, as scripture says? As John the Baptist testifies to, as the Old Testament testifies to? As even God the Father and God the Spirit testify to? As even Jesus himself says and demonstrates, is that who he is? And if you believe that, I wanna call you to put your faith and trust in Jesus to surrender your life to him, to say, Jesus, you know, I've been, I've been kind of going my own way and try to figure things out for myself. I'm gonna put my life in your hands. I'm gonna put my faith and trust in you to save me from my sins, to heal me of my brokenness, and to give me eternal life. So I'm gonna give you a moment to respond in that way, if that's you here this morning, this morning, both here and in the sanctuary today, I'm just gonna give you a quiet moment in your heart to turn to God and if you haven't already, to repent and believe in the gospel, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. I'm gonna give you a moment to respond. So God, we just come to you today and we thank you for those even now <laughs> that, are, that are making this decision and saying, yes, I put my faith and trust in you, Lord. I believe that you are who you say you are, Jesus. God, thank you for those who are taking that step and making that decision today. What a, what a, what a joyful day. 
What a day of celebration. And God, I do continue to pray for those maybe who are still wrestling in their heart. And I, God, I pray over the next eight weeks that all of us, God, uh, would have a clearer picture, would discover Jesus in a more vivid way. And understand that, um, God, as we surrender our life to you and, and, and as we put ourselves under your authority, God, that that is for our good and for our benefit, that you are the healer, you are the deliverer. You are the one that came to save us from our sins. And so God, as we come before you today, we, we're just thankful to be able to come and celebrate and hear your word and meditate on your word for this time. And then to, re, to respond now in worship, God, we just want uh, our, our praise to you to be honorable, to be a sweet uh, aroma to you today. In Jesus' name.